<laughs> You're now listening to the Inside Out Podcast with Jimmy Hunt. Get it. Welcome to Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. My job is simple, to improve my mental fitness through any means possible and deconstruct what works, what doesn't, and what I think may be able to help you become mentally fitter. And quite often it leads me to some pretty interesting people, places, and stories. And today is one of those very interesting people. He's very interesting because he's a very smart man, much, much smarter than I or anyone else I know. He is, are you a professor? You're a professor. Yeah, professor, professor. Professor Grant Schofield, he is the head uh, of the of like the high performance unit at Millennium. Is that what's your what's your actual? Oh, actually, no, no, no. We, I called I called our research and sort of practice center the Human Potential Center, sort of the gap between the sickness system and the high performance system. So the sort of I just sort of felt that we should be studying the things that make us well, yeah, uh, and help us reach the best that we can be, rather than than pulling us out of human misery. You know, you don't want to be in misery, but for the most part, I think there's a lot of tools that just help us have, lead better lives. So that's what I've been about. I like that because you you do play that sort of little place in between. I mean, you've obviously worked with some very, very high-performance athletes, but you're also thinking of the, the common man like I. Yeah, I mean, high-performance is interesting, but the thing about high-performance is, well, I mean, First of all, often they'll do things that other humans won't do, which is interesting just from a scientific point of view. But actually, and the health system stuck at the other end where, where we're sort of studying tools, often medications to try and pull us out of sickness uh, and, and not very human-based. So I, I guess we try and fit that middle category more or less. When I was up in your office a couple of months ago recording an episode for season two of your podcast, Yep. which is coming out soon, I suspect. Yep, yeah, just taking me a while to get my act together on editing all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, what we were talking about then is what I want to talk about now, which is your your current work. And it was confusing to me when you were explaining it to me, and I, I hope we can we can make it a little less confusing today. But basically, you were talking about something in the brain that was like a marker that allowed us to sort of understand why some of the modalities were working. Did I get that right? At yeah, the- I, I've been thinking. Well, well, I mean, part of the tension and sort of the difference between physiology and psychology is that the, the psychologists are talking about a whole bunch of behavioral stuff and, and you can do this, think like this, do this. And then the physiologists, including the people who invent medications and those sorts of things, say, no, 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 there's, there's a biology to all this where you could sort that out. And they sort of have this divide and, and, and never the twain shall meet. And you know, we've really been thinking more about don't have to be this sort of dualistic approach and both can be true. Uh, but you just probably need to study the, we got some of the biology completely wrong and it's only recently with some of the work that you've been doing where we've started to understand more about the tools that actually make us mentally fit. And so can we, can we bring those things together? And so that, I've just been thinking a lot about that, uh, yeah, particularly about, about the biology of being a human, the biology in the brain and around the body. I guess there's sort of four things that are going on where one affects the other, which affects the other. Some of these are pretty well known, right? So. So the idea of inflammation, the idea of oxidative stress, 
the idea of glycation, these are all things to do with uh, you know, when you have poor night's sleep, eat a poor diet, don't exercise, then you tend to you know, get engaged in thoughts and stress that you can't control. Then, then you're up body, a body that becomes chronically inflamed. And that, because the brain's part of the body, that becomes that as well. Uh, when you're eating poor nutrients and, and the exercise and whatnot we mentioned as well, then you can tend to get a lot of oxidative stress. If your blood sugar goes up because you're not moving much, you're eating a poor diet, then you tend to get some of that excess sugar attaching itself to every organ in the body, including the brain called glycation. And so that sort of trilogy around the body happens. And, and that's why we know that exercise is medicine, food is medicine, friends are medicine, meditation and breathing are medicine, those sorts of things. But what's become more apparent to us is that other theory of biology for well-being was this monoamine hypothesis, which is actually there is some biology in your brain. It's serotonin. The neurotransmitter is low. And so if we treat that with drugs, so that's that's the, the classic that's the classic thing that we've heard from from doctors for for years that you yeah, yeah, yeah. depression for example yeah. is a chemical imbalance in your brain and we don't have enough serotonin right so we, so we so we inhibit the reuptake of serotonin and increase the amount of serotonin in the in this synapse and and that should make you happier and and I think the best we could say for that method is it provides temporary relief to some people for some of the time. That's the best we can um, and say. And it also has, it's the best, it's the absolute best we can say. <laughs> yeah. And at the worst end, we go, actually, you know, for some groups, it, it, it really drastically increases negative events like suicide ideation and, and, and not sleeping and nightmares and these sorts of things, which is pretty nasty if you've already yeah. suffering from those. So, so then the question is, are there other neurotransmitters involved? We just picked the wrong ones. And I think actually what we're increasingly understanding is that the major, most important set of two neurotransmitters in the brain, this accounts for about 90% of all neurotransmitters are uh, the, the, the dual action of the excitatory neurotransmitter glutamate, and it's always accompanied by its sort of inhibitory cousin, GABA. And they sort of work together in a homeostasis to, to well, and, and they're so interdependent that glutamate is recycled into glutamine, which is recycled into GABA, which is recycled into glutamate. So, so you right. end up with this this sort of cyclical process to these all working together. And, and in, a, in a homeostatic human being that's worked on their mental fitness, then, then that will be the case. They're sort of equalized. But when, when, when you're not doing those things, uh, particularly things like uh, chronic stress, then you get this overflow of glutamate because it's, it's the nervous system firing up. It's the excitatory part. And, and that wouldn't be so bad, but this Glutamate just spills out into interstitial space and in, in the brain and, and well in the nervous system anywhere in the body, and, and that wouldn't be that bad either, except for it's toxic. And, and and this is not this is year two biochemistry really neurobiochemistry. This part's not in debate. Right? Is that this idea of glutamate excitotoxicity is is a huge thing, and and, and I think it's best explained actually. When you get a, 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 a mild traumatic brain injury, concussion, you bang your head, some neurons die, which isn't that awesome. Uh, but it, what we see there is that damage keeps exacerbating over, over the following weeks and months. And it's because when a brain cell dies, it's got 12,000 times more glutamate in it than outside it. It spills out. It's toxic. That toxicity starts to kill more brain cells and so on, you know, into this vicious cycle of glutamate excitotoxicity. 
Welcome and, to my and life. And you get the same thing. So many concussions. Yeah, well, and you get the, <laughs> yeah, concussions. Uh, well, exactly. And that partially probably explains some of you know, yeah. your initial issues and, and why yeah. contact sports for youth are so, oh, gosh. I mean, I can't imagine a society in the future that's going to accept that. Again, chronic stress, same thing. You've got this overflowing sympathetic nervous system. You've got glutamatic cytotoxicity. The same happens with when you start to not work on mental fitness, like exercise helps remove glutamate. Uh, a good that was, diet. That was my next question. So we're, so we're yeah. drowning in, in glutamate and yeah. it's causing us all sorts of dramas. And yeah. so what are, the, what are the main ways that we can get rid of that? Yeah, simple. So, so, so your, your obvious ones, eating, antioxidants, because oxidative stress causes more glutamate, diets that cause less inflammation, the whole food diets, food that was recently alive in nature, running around, flying, crawling, growing, swimming. Uh, that food is anti-inflammatory and, and, and reduces oxidative stress and reduces glycation and therefore reduces glutamate. There's foods high in glutamate. MSG is one of those. Uh, but it's so yummy. Yeah. Aspartame, which is uh, an artificial sweet. It isn't glutamate, but acts in the brain like glutamate. And, and so that sort of highly processed, ultra-processed food diet is, is a high glutamate diet is, is causes the problem. Exercise, because of its effects on inflammation and oxidative stress, but also direct effects on removing glutamate. A good night's sleep is profoundly anti-inflammatory in the brain, uh, also helps remove glutamate. Alcohol does, uh, alcohol actually gets gabber up and glutamate down, which sounds good. Um, <laughs> And actually gives you a feeling about what high GABA feels like, right? Which right. Is, is is chill, but it, but but it, its net effect is negative because because you can't get glutamate back, which you need a bit of for dream sleep. And if you can't dream, you can't function properly as a human, right? So so and and, and but, you know our normal sort of meditative mindfulness techniques of breathing and these things all calm the sympathetic nervous system. And anything that calms the sympathetic nervous system. Reduces glutamate, reduces inflammation, reduces glycation, reduces oxidative stress. So that that those four, we we, we now have a at least in my mind a, a more parsimonious and biological connection between the behavioural stuff, which we haven't had. So physiology and psychology are the same thing. Yeah, I like that because we have you said at the start we have historically split the brain and the body, and never the twain shall meet. And we have had psychologists or psychiatrists going, we fix your problems by talking about them. Yep. And then we've had scientists, doctors, researchers say, we fix your problems by changing your brain chemistry with these drugs. Yep. And we haven't really, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it's obviously what I've been preaching for a long time. And and you and many others, which is a much more holistic view at the human condition. Hundred percent. What you, what you're saying here is you've made you've made a link between the brain chemistry and the outcome, and then there are specific ways. A lot of which we already sort of have been prescribed in many different ways, shapes, and forms. But we're linking those together, knowing that we're working on both the body and the brain at the same time. Yeah, because, because in science, any theory or hypothesis should be parsimonious 
across a range of different things. That you should see what what's predicted. So that you know, for example, here's an idea of where parsimony comes in, and you just randomly see stuff. You go, well, if getting inflammation down helps, then maybe if you just gave people anti-inflammatories, I'm not saying you should do this, but if you no. did that, then then the prediction is you should see a reduction in depressive symptoms. Yes, and then you look that up and go, well, that should be true, and you go, yeah. oh, okay, well, actually, there's 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 several randomised trials on this. That's true. And not only that, it's true because it seems to reduce glutamate. That seems to be the mechanism. So, is that, might actually, go, so that is actually true if you take anti-inflammatories that yes. is helpful for your depression. It has a mild antidepressive effect, but I'm not suggesting that's a good strategy because no, no, there's no, so no, many no, other yeah. more holistic ways to, to reduce inflammation. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's negative side. Like you, you can't take, you know, they cause. Uh, gastrointestinal yeah. issues are not a it's not a thing, right? No, 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 no. And we're, and we're not we're so, not saying it is a thing, but, but, but I was the, just I was just surprised that it that it did actually work a little bit. Yeah. And so so, so other things about parsimony you go, oh okay, the 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 receptor for glutamate might need revving up uh, so an antagonizing and magnesium does that. Okay, well, what happens if you give people with with these different conditions magnesium, do they reduce their glutamate and feel better? And the answer is yes, they do. Right. And and then you go, well, actually, there's other antagonists like ketamine is a is a pretty powerful drug. I don't suggest yeah. people take that, but it's also an antagonist of that receptor. But we're seeing ketamine treatments being part of psychedelic therapies in trials around the world, which are having good success. Um, which yeah, is yeah, which is yeah. an interesting and, and, part and, of that too. But don't just yeah, go take whole, ketamine kids. No, 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 I wouldn't do that, kids. They um that the, the psychedelics is another whole interesting thing there because it, because uh, you're also seeing antagonism of that NDMA receptor for for glutamate, uh, and so so it fits into the to the the plausibility of the hypotheses where the serotonin one, for example, is not parsimonious because some drugs increase serotonin, some drugs decrease serotonin, you still see the same outcome, not yep. much better than placebo. So it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So so that that's why I'm into it. And I think it's and anything that can draw convincingly and accurately the biology together with the behavioral stuff is powerful because there's a group of people in society that will respond and do the behavioral stuff, but they'll do it on the basis of some scientific uh, rationale. Yeah. So one of so. the examples of that, I think, is meditation. And yep. so, you know, meditation has been done for thousands of years by peoples around the globe who uh, have extolled its benefits, but the modern Western human didn't really get on board because they thought it was some Eastern mumbo jumbo. And yeah. then the science came along in terms of how, you know, the MRIs and the um, the ECGs and the all the all the tests that allowed them to scan and map the brain and what it did during meditation. And once that sort of became mainstream Western science, we had more and more uptake in the behavior of meditation and therefore the resulting benefits of meditation. Yeah, and then and then it gets sort of slightly rebranded as well. You know, it might be called breathing, or it might yeah, just be called mindfulness, uh, being mindful, or being present, or you know, and and it's you know essentially the exact same thing. Uh, and then you're, you're right. And now this, hopefully, what we're talking about just extends that even further. Going well, 
you know, getting control over your your autonomic nervous system and control over how you deal with emotions uh, are a really important part of being a functioning human. And here's the science behind that. So what are some of the modalities that will benefit from, you know, the legitimacy surrounding the science coming out? Well, I've, I think hopefully what you're asking there is what happens in practice now. And I think like a good example is depression and anxiety therapy. So you've got a situation where where the recommendations are strongly around the things that we're talking about, get more active, um, eat better, connect with other people, uh, relax, breathe, you know, learn some of these other techniques. Yeah, in mainstream medicine, they make no progress whatsoever, right? So the primary treatment for depression and anxiety um, is, is, is pharmacological. And yep. so I, I think this sort of stronger scientific narrative brings that on board much more. And, and really, you, know, you don't want to be talking about money, but let's face it, in the medical system, uh, it's all about funding and money. And the reality is in virtually every developed country and developing country in the world, the overwhelming investment by 99% of the, 0.9% of the funding is into sickness and it's maybe uh, uh, surgery, which you know, can be effective, obviously, and pharmacological, which is only sometimes effective. And so if it drives investment, into other aspects of being fit and healthy, then that would be awesome. I guess the other thing is that I feel in mental health, you know, overwhelmingly that system is utterly broken in my opinion. I don't want to be too negative about it, but I find it, I, I feel that when you're spending all of your money on acute inpatient care and mainly medications uh, and a bit of talk therapy, and for everyone else, for anyone with mild to moderate, even reasonably serious problems, the, the treatment gap is so large, there's nothing available, then you know, this stuff offers some hope. Uh, and you don't have to be a trained psychologist to deliver this. This is the whole point, right? I mean, it, it's ridiculous yeah, that you would have to, to- Welcome to me. Yeah, well, why would you, why would you need to be <laughs> trained in this particular type of talk therapy to help people achieve the state of mental fitness of, of, of you know, getting active, eating better, sleeping better, connecting with other people? Um, finding meaning and purpose in life. But you don't have to be a, a trained psychologist, and it may even be a disadvantage to be one for that. So there's a whole other profession in mental health, particularly, that doesn't even exist yet, that is urgently required, in my opinion. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example. So just, just one example. Sorry. Yeah. I've got a woman at the moment who she doesn't need hospitalization for her depression, but she's certainly not well. We can't even pay for her to go to a psychologist. Like they're closed in Auckland. Yeah. You can't book one in. We know that our uh, mental health system is horrendously fucked. Um, yeah. You've got no argument with me there. And I never got you on here to help legitimize what I do, but I, I agree with you in the regards to, like, if you, because I, I talk about you know, your acute mental illnesses. Uh, your neurodiverse mental illnesses compared to, which only make up about 7% of all mental illnesses compared to the 93% of all mental illnesses, which are basically what they describe as lifestyle-based mood disorders. Yeah, 100%. So your depression, anxiety, and stress. The ability for the average human to deal with those, the that big chunk, doesn't require specific you know, multi-year 
doctor level training. It is some pretty common sense stuff that can literally be doled out by anybody like me. What is really good is having the science to back up the recommendations that we do. So, for example, on this podcast, I've had Nigel Beach on, for example. Nigel Beach is a physiotherapist who teaches breath work and cold immersion and heat immersion. And all of those are modalities to move you from the sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic nervous system. and In other words, to get you out of your fight-flight-freeze state. Whilst obviously there's science behind that, it's not really legitimized as a form of treatment for low mental fitness, depression, anxiety, stress. And the more we see science like yours coming through, the more we can go, hey, look, we've got this whole suite of scientifically backed free, which you are 100% correct. If it's free, people don't value it. Mm. (laughs) If it's free, people don't think it's legitimate. But these are free techniques once used that can allow you to regulate your body chemistry and therefore regulate your mood. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with that, Jimmy. It, it, you know, I mean, it drives both of us crazy, I guess, that this is the case. Um, just on those, the hot, cold and the breathing, well, I mean, you're you dead right, dialing down the sympathetic nervous system, you're dialing down glutamatic, glutamatic cytotoxicity. Um, they already use cold in intensive care units all around the world, including uh, right where I live. Um, right. When there's when there's brain damage for ischemia from a heart attack, uh, hypoxia for newborn, that sort of stuff, because uh, it breaks that glutamate chain. So at that level, it's well understood and used. Um, yet we it can't make it to to this mild or moderate thing. And also, I, I, I feel a, a number of places around the world we go. Oh, we need to talk more about mental health. We need to recognise more about mental health. Well, the days will pass for that. Frankly, oh, yeah. we need yeah. to do something about it. We yeah. need to. We need to use the tools in society. If it's such a crisis, which it actually is, and bizarrely at a time that we've never had more resources than we've had in human history, how come we can't utilise the things that we already know scientifically and behaviourally that work? Yeah, well, this is my argument. My argument is that it is a branding problem. Yeah. More than a science problem, more than Mm. an anything problem, it is Mm. a branding problem. Because the pharmaceutical companies paid billions and billions of dollars from the 80s to make it a, a neurological chemical imbalance problem. And yeah. that pervading, you know, what is essentially a ad campaign, that is still the prevailing feeling that's felt by the general public. And the other one is sort of the the history of psychotherapy in regards to like all the way back from a hundred and so years ago from like Freud, which is you lie on the couch, you tell someone your problems and that will help fix them. Mm. And so we've got these two prevailing narratives for either side of the coin, neither of which are actually really helpful to that big giant 93% of the population suffering from those conditions. Yeah, and yet we 
we have knowledge of the tools and all we have to do is learn to uh, apply them. Yep. And that's, you know, I'm a real fan of what you're doing for that that yep. reason, frankly. Uh, but, but you know, my ideal world, what we'd see is a whole new group of mental health or fitness or mental fitness coaches. That, that, that's a legitimate profession. Yep. In the health system. And, and it would be actually a great job. And so in, in your ideal world, what does that person look like? What do they do? They, they work within the, the medical system, but they, they walk alongside people. They meet people where they're at. They, they're trained in, in coaching and the sort of techniques that, that mean you're not telling people to do stuff, but you're helping them get to, to find some solutions. But they're also armed with a bunch of tools that depending on that person, they can use. And those will be exercise and, again, meeting people at their fitness level um, and their motivation and experience and skill level. They'll, they'll be Because uh, exercise could in. just be walking, for example. Yeah, it could, be, it could be walking, but for other people, you know, they're going to just keep progressing. They've got a lifetime of being active and they were yep. athletes when they're younger and they can just off they go and they'll benefit from more. Yep. And they can take more and they want more. Uh, and, and the same with diet. You know, some people that are going to just cut out sugar and stop eating Doritos and, other people are going to want to go for full hood diets, but they could be, that person would be armed with those techniques. And again, you don't need to be a dietitian. We're talking about yeah. food, you know, yeah. ultra processed versus unprocessed food. It's not, you know, we don't have to work out every last bit of calcium uh, availability or something. Uh, they, they would be uh, trained in the basics of helping people with their sleep hygiene. And, and again, you don't have to be a sleep specialist because you're getting people to stop, help hopefully stop using their devices in the last few hours before bedtime and these yeah. sorts of things. They'd be trained in breathing techniques and they'd be trained in, in helping people who want to go on and do some of those thermotherapies that you talked about. Now, these, I don't see that you have to go to university for half a decade to learn these. Yeah, well, I think, I think you, you basically <laughs> just described me. <laughs> you, yeah. like, I'm, no, I'm no expert in any of these things. But if someone comes to me and I see them not in a good way, I'll ask them simple questions about things like their sleep. And I can give them, I can give them a top 10 right now to improve their sleep because yeah. they're pretty simple. Have a darker room, have a colder room, have a heavier blanket, get off the yeah. devices, like all of yeah, yeah. Yeah, real yeah, simple, yeah. simple things yeah. that I've learned over time. And the same, same with that, like, I am by far, no means anywhere close to any sort of dietitian, but I can tell you now that I know that if you can cut out processed carbohydrates and sugar, that will reduce the inflammation and that will help you feel better. And I, <laughs> I guess that's exactly what I do. I'm just, I'm no expert in anything except for the fact that I have an ability to take a couple of things that, again, I, wa I want to know that the science is there. But I also, in some stages, don't care if the science is there, if I'm getting lots of anecdotal evidence from people who are feeling better after doing something. And, you know, I see that. But I think one of the other things that you, you said there, which is so good, is meeting people where they're at. And if there's one thing that I've found over 10 years is that no two people have the same prescription to get better. Yes, there are common denominators in so many things, and we want them to see that, but walking is good for me, but I don't want to run. Cool. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have to run. Whereas I quite like, I quite, I quite like running. 
Yeah, exactly. No? Exactly. So, so we're different, but 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 the same. But the same. And then I'm yeah. never going to be a vegetarian, but I completely understand eating whole and organic foods, hundred percent, and organic meats. You know. Yeah. And so. Well, I think what you've explained here pretty well is that we kind of, I mean, it's what scientists do as a job. Like we overcomplicate so much of this and it's yeah. not all that complicated. Yeah. And, and I think part of the problem for you, Jimmy, on my observation of knowing you over the last several years is that it's sort of ahead of your time. And that, that must be incredibly frustrating because you're seeing how the world could be but the world isn't like that yet. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty not, sure I'm it will be like that. I'm not that far ahead of my time, which I think so. I'm only just a little bit ahead of my time, which yeah, I think that, is Yeah, it's still is frustrating, good. right? Yeah. You, you know, uh, because, because you're trying to talk about change uh, and there's whole systems that not only are not really into it, they're actively against it. Yeah. So that, that's still an issue. So someone said to me the other day when I was, I was, having, a, I was having a meeting – uh, about doing some work for a, a a very big organization, and I was saying, oh yeah, I can I can provide this. I can do workshops. I can do keynotes. I could do things like that. And she said to me, do you do you train trainers? So you know, do you train people inside of our organization to then be able to train other people? And I was like, yeah. no, no, I do not, <laughs> because that sounds like a whole bunch of a whole bunch of work and effort. Um, but listening to you here, and it still sounds like a whole bunch of work and effort that I don't really want to do, but I think I might start looking down this path. I think I could almost, I could almost sort of franchise myself yeah. and create exactly what you were just talking about is this whole middle ground of mental fitness professionals. Hundred percent. You're exactly right, and the beauty of that is that your ability to change the world is is amplified, and and it exponentiates the more you go on. Right. So that's 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 why you should. I think that'd be absolutely a grand idea. Oh, just having epiphanies on my own bloody podcast. Um, <laughs> my friend, uh, my friend. Nikki, she is uh, an amazing yoga teacher, and she's been on this podcast and and yeah. talked about her yoga things. But she has a yoga teacher training. I yeah. might hit her up about how she how she trains her yoga teachers and and look at trying to create a program to create mental fitness trainers so that they can they can fan out and play this little gap in the middle game. I think it's I think it's necessary. Yeah, and the other beauty for the person who becomes that trainer is. As as you know, as soon as you start teaching this stuff, you do move to the next level of of engagement and knowledge and your own practice with it. And then you send, you know, and because it's not authentic to be yeah. training and teaching this stuff if you're not doing it, yeah, a lot of the time. Then, the best then way to learn is to teach. Yeah, yeah, and then, and then you end up, as we all have, being on that journey of 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 just you know continuing to learn the tools that give you a good life. Fuck it, Grant Schofield, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'll it's start be small. Done. I'm going to start small, yeah. but I'm going to do it. It's got to be done. I agree with you. Like, like when we're talking about literally changing the way society acts and responds to these crises, we need to have something different, and we need to have something that fits that 
I hate the term that they, you know, they call it mild depression. Mild yeah. depression almost fucking killed me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah but, exactly. But the, the mild to moderate depression is, again, this gigantic chunk of, of all mental illnesses, and there's really no preventative measures being put in there. But even worse than that, the preventative is that even if you need reactive, like you yeah. said, you can't get into these reactive people. No, even if you're even if you're wealthy, you can't get treatment. Yes. So so let alone you know at the bottom of the social gradient, that sort of stuff. There's actually yeah, well, there's acute inpatient centres and there's there's medication. That's what you got. That's the system. I mean, it's as we say, you can go. We need to talk about mental health. Um, no, we don't. We need to actually invent a whole new system and change so, our behaviours. Yeah, yeah, change your behaviours. If we don't change your behaviours, you know, so in other parts of society, when you don't change your behaviour, you've got something going wrong. You know, that's just called stupidity. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we're pretty stupid as a group. I think we're smart yeah. as individuals and fucking yeah. stupid as a group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Oh, Grant. Right, we've had a we've had a breakthrough here. We're going we're going somewhere. Um, yeah. So, from your from your position high up the scientific tree, can we just reiterate or lay out sort of the top three things that people should be doing to increase their mental fitness from, from this you know, scientific standpoint? Well, I think, I think the first thing, number one for me, is you need to be able to, I mean, it was always called the autonomic nervous system, although it was out of your control. Right. And we know that's not true at all, right? But taking control and being able to control it will the active the the mainly deactivation of your sympathetic nervous system to me as as a skill in life. I hundred percent absolutely hundred percent crucial. So so there's a bunch so of ways to do, do that, right? How do we do that? Yeah. Well, well, well breathing is a very easy technique, but it may not be enough. That's why nature is so useful. Like we yes. naturally do this in nature and and embracing and yeah, well, just the the sound of running water and crashing waves and the feel of that and and nature does that. But so does any physical movement, um, especially vigorous movement. So, you know, you can think about yeah. combining all three of them. Like dance, for example. You can just throw yeah. out an ecstatic dance. Yeah. Anything so, like so, that. So, 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 so being able to control our sympathetic nervous system is a key thing. Yeah. The second thing for my mind is uh, you've, humans are designed to each food that was low in human interference. As I mentioned earlier, it was flying, running, Crawling, swimming, yeah. growing Go somewhere. On. Yeah. When you deviate even not that far from that or grossly from that as humans do, then because of the sort of complexity of human homeostasis, you disrupt that homeostasis. So, so providing normal balance in your body requires actual food, you know, food that was recently alive. And, and if you don't do that, good luck, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the third thing, in my opinion, is that the the brain is complicated and it has some some crucial programs that seem to operate when we go to sleep. And so the deep sleep is, is around that cerebrospinal fluid and the lymphatic system, you know, triples in volume and flow rate, and it's profoundly anti-inflammatory. And then you slip in later in the night into more of this dream sleep, which seems to be just crucial for the for thinking and acting and learning and remembering. And so, yeah. If well, you my, try to, so but, but but there's further to that 
I mean, if, if you're not going to sleep when it's getting dark and getting up when it's getting light, if you're doing some other version of that, good luck. Yeah. One of my yeah. favorite little um, statistics is that on the Hamilton Depression Scale, which is a yeah. very yeah. – it's the original convoluted crazy um, depression scale, but for the antidepressant medication, SSRIs, they'll give you 1.5 points on that scale. So if you take yeah. them, you, you'll move up 1.5 points. Yeah. Getting better sleep gives you six points. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and and yeah, that, that these these are huge effects. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, those are those are brilliant ways, and I'm, I'm I love I love getting to chat to very smart people like you because I think you're too kind, by the way, Frank. I'm not. You've got many um, many certificates on your wall saying how smart you are. <laughs> well, that's not very little. Uh, that's very little evidence. <laughs> no, no, but but you do you do great work, and one of the reasons yeah. is because. When we talk about branding, one of the things that is required in order to change perceptions is legitimacy. So mm. this is why you have celebrity endorsements, because people have this faux legitimacy with a celebrity. So if a celebrity says it, I'm more likely to believe it. The thing is, when you have uh, someone like me just saying, hey, I think these are this is the way forward, that's all well and good. And I can say, look, I can back that up with science. Here are the here are the things and everything. But when you get some of the actual proper people that do the research and put it all together in a, in a super clever way, then that just lands far more legitimacy on it and allows people listening to things like this to really understand, oh, shit, okay, now I get that. Now my mind is semi-changed and I'm going to go off and have a look in that direction. And so it's very powerful. Yeah, but those worlds should always line up, right? That's the idea of what we talked about before, parsimony, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be different worlds. They should be the same world. Absolutely. Um, And I think that's the beauty here. We're in the same world, but just in different parts of that Correct. Absolutely. Now, if people want to find out more about you, your research and – uh, you can plug your books as well. Uh, where, where, do they, where do they find that? Uh, yeah, there's a there's a profgrant.com site. Uh, there's 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 our human potential center site, and then I also do some work as a chief science officer for Precure with a K. Precure.com, prevention is cure. So uh, yeah, that's that's sort of where you find me. So go check yeah. those out. Thank you very much, Professor Grant Schofield. I appreciate your time and your knowledge and your expertise, and we will talk more in the future. Jimmy, just keep up your good work. You're you're making a difference. Appreciate it. Thank you. See you later. That was Inside Out with Jimmy Hunt. See you next time. 